0: Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us on site here and those who are joining us online as well. We're glad you're with us. Judging from the announcements we just heard, I get the sense Christmas is coming. Did you get that sense as well? Yeah, we'll talk more about that in about two weeks from now when we start our Advent series. But uh, currently, we are into week five of our existing series, The DNA of Our Church. Now, as we get together this morning, uh, I know that we bring all sorts of different experiences and, and, and events into this place with us that happened this past week. And it's something that's amazing how much you can actually pack into a week, isn't it? Like for us, for example, Nadine and I, uh, a lot of you, some of you will know, but some of you won't know, that the last time I stood on this platform, last Sunday, we went home, packed, and jumped on an airplane, and then we just got back last night at 9 o'clock. So I've kind of gone from platform to platform. Now, during that week, we managed to pack in a, a flight down to Florida, a trip to the Bahamas. We dodged a hurricane which was a lot of fun, Uh, Hurricane Nicole, we met some new friends, we saw a SpaceX rocket launch yesterday, and then flights. It was amazing how much we packed in. And we just got home last night, and uh, it was a good week to get away. It was a big week, but a good break. We're glad to be home. Um, Now, some of you may not have known we were going, because there's actually very little warning that we were taking off. We actually booked this trip nine days ahead of our departure date. Now, we had the week off booked for quite a while, but we didn't know what we were going to do thought we'll stay home and hang Christmas lights, do something kind of boring, like sit around and watch Netflix. I thought, no, let's see if there's a deal that we can get. And so we, sure enough, obviously we found a really good deal on this vacation, and so off we go. Now here's the interesting thing about it. This is where Nadine and I are very, very different. You see, we had this time off, we were going to do something with it, we found the deal, and, and so I thought, I wonder what Nadine would think. And so I called her at work and I said, do you want to go, do you want to do this? And now Nadine is is the adventurous type. And this is obviously, as I just described, this is kind of a big week. We packed a lot into this week on very, very short notice. Nadine's response was, "Eh, yeah, let's do it. And, and I'm thinking, so maybe you're like more of the adventure spontaneous type. But, but then maybe you're more like me, and I'm like, well, but what about, what about the weather? Because we did check the weather. We'd, there was no hurricane when we booked it. <laughs> what about the weather? Is it a good deal? We have to book a car, we got to book a shuttle, we got to book a hotel. Do we have spending money to go? Is this the best option that we can go through? There's, a, there's lots of things that we have to figure out. So some people might be more of the spontaneous type, and others might be a little bit more, more like me. And I think this is why we're a good complement to each other as a couple because without Nadine in my life, I would research all these fun things to do and probably never go anywhere, and my life would be very boring. But Nadine needs me in her life because otherwise she would just go do everything and constantly be in chaos going, well, I didn't know I needed to have a car (laughs) when we get there. And so we can complement each other so that she can live this carefree life as I plan. Maybe what we're talking about here is Nadine lives by the principle and the value we talked about last week. She lives by vibrant faith. This faith that, let's go do it, it's going to work out. And then I live by something we're going to talk a bit more about today. A bit more about, well, we got to take inventory. we got to count the cost before we go. And those two things are values that can beautifully connect to each other to make a wonderful, wonderful week that we had and a wonderful time that we can have in ministry here as a church. We talk about this idea of taking inventory, counting the cost, and and Jesus spoke about this actually in Luke chapter 14. And I won't go through all of Luke chapter 14, but uh, basically in this passage, and if you're familiar with it, you'll you'll know it when I say it. He talks about how... uh, You know, before somebody builds a tower, for example, they have to count the cost. They have to take inventory. Jesus says, otherwise, you'll build your foundation, you'll have enough resources and people and ability to build your foundation, but you won't be able to build on top of the foundation, and then people are going to make fun of you, he basically says. He uses another example, he says in Luke 14, that if a king wants to go off to war, he's got to first stop and ask himself, do I have the right stuff? Do I have the right people? Do I have the right resources, the right supplies to go and win this battle? If I do, onward to victory. If I don't, let's go negotiate peace, basically, is what he says. Perhaps for us in a more, you know, daily life example, before you bake a cake, you need to take inventory. Do we do the Betty Crocker cake mix version, or are we going to bake it from scratch? The, question to, the answer to that question comes down to taking inventory. Do I have the ingredients? Do I have the time? Do I have the ability to cook from scratch? And based upon the answer to those questions will determine not only your path, but the end results. Quite often for us in our ho- household, the answer is no. We don't have the ingredients, and we don't have the time, we don't have the ability, but what we can do is we can go to Save-On and buy a cake because company's going to be here in 60 minutes, and we're going to put it on a plate of our own and claim that we baked it. So you <laughs> see Luke 14 talks about this counting the costs about taking inventory but it actually in the context is applied specifically to this idea of becoming a follower of Christ how each of us needs to count the cost before we make that decision, take that step of faith and the same is true for us as a church it's not just about individual believers the same can be true for us collectively as a church as a body of believers that we need to do something similar to this as well you see, because we have a mission, and a, val- a mission and a vision to be at the heart of new life here in Lewis Farms as we are inviting people to experience new life with Jesus, and that requires us to discern a few things. That requires us to discern which ministry options do we say yes to, which opportunities do we say no to, which steps do we invest in, and which ones do we cautiously step back from, which opportunities do we take large steps of faith in, and which ones are we more cautious about? And the only way we can make those decisions is by counting the cost, by, by, by taking inventory of the resources that God has placed into our hands. Now, when you hear that word resources, what do you think of? A lot of us, I imagine, think immediately of, of finances, of material resources, resources, of, uh, of even situations and contexts that we find ourselves in. And, and those are all true. Those are all things we need to have an awareness of. But there's another critical resource, I, I would even argue our greatest resource, that goes beyond that. And we see sort of an application of this actually back in the Old Testament a little bit, where there's another application of this idea of taking inventory to know what resources you have available to us. And those most valuable of resources being our people. Our people are our most valuable resource. I mentioned this as an example in the Old Testament, and and what I'm referring to actually is a story that that comes to mind from 1 Samuel. Now, when you read the book of 1 Samuel, you learn about Israel living under a theocracy. Uh, What that means is that they are a nation, they are a people governed under the rule of God, and, and God spoke and directed the nation through a prophet. In this particular case, the prophet Samuel. So they live as a theocracy, and when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 8, you find that the people have done a bit of an inventory themselves of the other nations, and they realize, hey, we're not content living under a theocracy. We've looked at the other nations, and they have kings. And so they go to Samuel, and they say, Samuel, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations, Now, they had not counted the cost. They have taken inventory, but they had not counted the cost of rejecting God's rule over them. But God grants their request, and and he gives them a king, a man by the name of Saul. And we get to chapter 9. We get this list, kind of this inventory of who Saul was. And in chapter 9, it says that he was young, and he was tall, and he was handsome. He was fit. He was legit. He He had this kingly appearance about him. And they were the envy of all the nations because of their great king that they had. If you keep reading through 1 Samuel, you'll find in chapter 15 that while things started off okay, they don't work out very good. Because there's something inside Saul's heart, there's something inside of him that that led him to be disobedient, that, that led him to have a heart that rejected God. And because of that, God directs Samuel to go find a new king. And he leads him to find a new king in the house of Jesse. And when Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, Jesse kind of knows why he's there. And so he starts bringing his sons in and he parades his sons before Samuel from the oldest down to the youngest. But one by one, as they paraded by, Samuel passes over them. Nope, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Until Jesse runs out of sons. And, and Samuel says, Is this all in your household? And Jesse goes, Well, there's the, there's the littlest one, there's the youngest one. Surely you don't mean him. He's out looking after the sheep in the field. And then we see this in in chapter 16, verse 7. So Samuel goes back to the Lord to inquire. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his height. Do not consider his appearance. Because the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearances. People so often take inventory of the outward appearances. But the Lord looks at the heart. You see, the criteria that people use so often when they take inventory of themselves or when they take inventory of other people, the criteria that we so often use is different from what God looks at. You see, the things, if we're honest with ourselves and we think back and process this a little bit, we'll see that, that we tend to evaluate ourselves and we tend to evaluate other people by these outward things, these, these ideas of these outward qualities, and sometimes we disqualify ourselves because of those. I'm too young or I'm too old. I, I'm not educated enough or I'm too educated for this position. I, I've done my time and I'm not going to do any more. More people need to do things and I'm going to step back. I'm, I'm too new to Jesus or I'm unknown within the church. I have past sins that disqualify me. I have, I have a wrong family name. I have a feeling of being unwanted, untrained. Quite honestly, I'm just scared And so I disqualify myself. So that's one error that sometimes we make when we look at the qualities, when we take inventory of ourselves and our people. Sometimes we err on that side of disqualifying ourselves because of these these external things. Now on the other side, there's another ditch to stay out of, where we we think on the other side of of this equation that everyone is suitable for everything. Anybody can be a king, can't they? But that's not the case either, because not everyone is fit for every role, and not everyone's gifted for every role. Like, for example, when I first started as a pastor, I was a pastor of adult ministries. And so I oversaw all ministries that had to do with anything adult-wise, you know, small groups and Christian education, Sunday school, women's ministry, men's ministry, all sorts of things I was overseeing. And after a little while, one of my key leaders, the coordinator of my women's ministry, had to step back. She was pouring herself into it so much, she was about to burn out, so she stepped back and kind of resigned from that for a while. And I was left in a situation where I had to step into coordinating women's ministry. Now, I don't need to unpack this for you a whole lot. Just simply say, I'm not equipped to lead women's ministry. Right? Like, like, there are certain disadvantages to me leading women's ministry. Now, I still did it for a time. It was, it was my responsibility to make sure things kept running. So I went to their meetings, and I, I drank the tea with the pinkies out, and I ate the biscuits, and, and I, I did all that. We had doilies, and it was beautiful, right? It was wonderful. I, I did it. It kept things going. What was my top priority, though? I need to recruit some ladies who have a different equipping than I have, who have a different gifting than I have, who have different passions than I have. I need to recruit those ladies and then empower them. To oversee this ministry. Because while not every place is for everyone, I can tell you this, while not every place is for everyone, everyone has a place. Okay? Not every place is for everyone, but everyone has a place. And here at West Meadows, we believe that people are our greatest resource. And if you have ever felt disqualified by your own self-assessment or if somebody has misjudged you or misevaluated your giftings and your abilities and you have felt disqualified, I wanna help you. We wanna help you to discern your equippings, to discern your passions, and then empower you to live those out in community amongst us in fulfillment of our God given mission that we have. Because our fifth core value here at West Meadows, these core values, these core values that that guide our actions and reveal our priorities, our fifth core value is empowering people. Where we want to foster this culture. This culture where everyone's gifts contribute to serve others and to bring glory to God. You see, folks, we not only want you to thrive in service to others. We not only want you to bring glory to God by living in your passions and giftings. We need you to. We need you to. Because inherent to our mission, this mission to invite people to experience new life with Jesus, inherent to that mission is a certain philosophy of ministry that we operate by. Now, what do I mean by a philosophy of ministry? Uh, what I'm talking about here is explaining the reason why we do things a certain way. Our, the philosophy of ministry you operate by is the why behind how we do things. It's, it's, it's why we organize ourselves and function in a certain manner that might be different than other churches. You see, there are some churches who would operate by a philosophy of where only the paid people, only the staff, do ministry. And maybe you've been part of a church like this in the past where where there's a minister and there's a congregation. And the minister ministers to the congregation. and, And that's the organizational structure. We hire people to do ministry to the congregation. There's a minister, there's a congregation. The minister ministers to the congregation. You typically will find these in sort of the high tradition, and in high liturgy churches that have a very well-defined hierarchy. But if you've been part of that, if you've seen that in the past, that's different than how we operate here at West Meadows. That's actually different than how most evangelical churches operate. You see, instead of being organized as a minister in a congregation, we are organized as a ministering congregation. You see the difference? It's not just a minister and a congregation, it is a ministering congregation. Now obviously, we hire people. We hire and pay people to do work at the church because, well, here I am, and thank you very much for that. So we obviously have that as part of our structure, but the work that our hired staff do, that myself and Tina and Andrew and Zach and others do, is very specific and limited. You see, our role is to call people up, to call people up and equip them. And after we've equipped them, to send them to go do ministry, to be a ministering congregation. That's why Pastor Andrew will recruit and he will train people to be leaders and to serve in in the food bank and in the Lewis Estates Retirement Center services that we do. Pastor Athena could teach all the kids at one time in one big class and be the only teacher, but she doesn't. In Sunday school, she empowers others to be Sunday school teachers, to speak into the lives of others. Zach could come up here, and he could just sit on those drums of the microphone, and he could just kind of drum away and sing, kind of Al Phil Collins from Genesis back in the 80s, right? If you're from the 80s, you know what I'm talking about, a little Phil Collins action. Zach could do that. But no, he calls others up, and he mentors them, and he allows them to come up here and serve and to lead and be a part of all the worship teams that we have. You see, the philosophy that we operate by here is to be a ministering congregation. The staff's role in that is to call people up, to equip them, and to send them. And the scriptural basis for this philosophy by which we organize ourselves and operate is found in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12 where Paul actually describes this. He talked to the churches a lot. He wrote so many letters to the churches. And, and this is one of the things that he, he talked about to the church in Ephesus in, in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He said this. He said, So Christ, gave himself, uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, for what purpose? To equip the people. To equip people to do what? To do works of service. For what on purpose? So that the body might be built up. Christ gave us these leaders to equip the people to do the works of service to build up the body. Now this passage is not about establishing a hierarchy. This is about identifying specific special leadership positions that exist within the church. These roles of, of apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and preachers. To establish the foundation of leadership and teaching and guidance within the church. These people who have this God-given calling to lead and to guide and to advance ministry, to proclaim the truth, to teach the people, this God-given calling to do those things so that by their work, they can assist and direct the church. They can assist and direct the people in fulfilling God's mission. You know, and Paul wrote extensively, this is just one verse, but Paul wrote extensively about these types of things to the church. And when you read through Paul's letters, These letters to the churches, you know, the uh, first and second Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and all all those letters we find in the New Testament. He wrote extensively to the churches. These are letters to the church, and he used that word a lot. 114 times, Paul uses this word church. Now, 24 of those 114 times, he's speaking of what's referred to as the universal church. That that means he's speaking of the universal church, the the church in heaven of all believers of all time kind of gathered together, that, that universal church idea. 24 out of 114 times. But 90 times he's speaking to the local church. 90 times he's giving directions like this one to the local church. He's talking to people of a common faith in a common region who are united together for a common purpose. That's what we talk about when we say the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, this this people of common faith in a region who are gathered together. He's talking to them, and he's encouraging them to come together, to be unified, to be built up so that they can be strengthened, so that they themselves can be improved in their gifts, and so that they can be empowered to serve others to fulfill the mission. Now, maybe you've experienced that in the church. Maybe, Maybe you haven't, but I think all of us have experienced it somewhere in our lives, if you've ever had a mentor in your life, you've experienced this, whether that's a mentor for professionally, as recreationally on a team with a coach, in school, hopefully you've experienced it within the church at some point, where there's this person you look at who is further down their path than you are. This person that you look at and you respect them because there's something in them that shows experience and knowledge and you think, I can learn from this person. And you allow them to speak into your life. This is a mentor, somebody who's mentoring you. And what do they do? What does this coach or this teacher, this mentor do? They, they tend to affirm your strengths, don't they? They'll find something you're good at. They'll, they'll call out your passions. They'll affirm your strengths. If there's something you're challenged at or not doing well at, they'll, they'll correct you. If you have tendencies that are, that are not going to serve you well long term, they will kind of chisel those off. And try to remove those pieces from who you are so that you can be successful. And as this happens, you personally develop in your abilities and your confidence. And as you develop, all those around you get better and stronger. All of a sudden, you get increased opportunities to be trusted with more responsibility. And you grow and you are built up in the process of that. You know, a couple months ago, I was invited to go back to uh, uh, the 75th anniversary of the church I worked at previously. And, and they had a bit of a panel, me and a few other pastors on a panel up there, just to kind of do a bit of a Q&A. And, and one of the questions they gave me was they wanted to know, how did I go from a staple salesman to a lead pastor? <laughs> Those of you who don't know, before I was a pastor, I sold, it wasn't like office staples, like your little stapler on your desk. Like I sold staples by the millions into industrial applications and things like that. But it was kind of a funny question. How did you go from selling staples to being a lead pastor? You know, and as I thought about my answer to that question, as I reflected upon this, I realized that there were two aspects to the journey. My part in it was simply saying yes to things. I just simply said yes when opportunities came my way. But the big part of the story, the part of the story that I wanted to focus upon is the other godly people who called out gifts within me. Other godly people who mentored me who saw the ability and wanted to refine it and wanted to develop it and mentored me and gave me opportunities and guided me and shaped me. That's how I went from selling staples to being an elite pastor. My role was simply to take steps of faith and say, yes, that's the way I feel led, and have other people mentor and guide me through this process. And that's why we believe in this value. That's why we first of all believe that our people are our greatest resources. Because when our people are built up and when our people are empowered, we collectively are built up and empowered. And we value that. We value having that as part of our culture, to foster this culture where everyone's gifts contribute to serve others and to glorify God. Now, as I go through this, I, I, I know that this message today is, is, is kind of less emotional and it's less engaging than some other ones that are more story-bound and whatnot, but but as I talk through this, I hope you understand two things really importantly. Number one, the significance of this value. How critical this value is to us fulfilling our mission that God has given us. But the other thing I hope that you experience as we go through this is that I hope you feel encouraged. I I truly hope you feel empowered by this. Because people sometimes say that callings only exist in leaders and pastors. And Pastor Mark, you're called and that's good for you. But you know, I just live close to the church, and so that's why I'm here. And I want to challenge you with that. Yes, I believe that there are some leaders who are called to specific, significant roles within the church. There are, there are apostles, and, and apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and preachers. There are those special callings. And God sees fit to call those people to be leaders, to coordinate and to manage and to cast vision. But why would he call a leader to do those things if he also doesn't call others to come and to be coordinated, call others to be equipped, call others to be sent? So I want to challenge you, and I hope you feel encouraged and equipped and and, and empowered by this, because I believe that God does not just call leaders to stand on the platform. He calls people to be together in a congregation. And he calls people of certain giftings and passions and abilities to make up that congregation, because he knows what the recipe calls for for our success in our mission. And each of you are an ingredient in that mission. We need you to use your giftings and to be aware of those things if we are going to be successful and continue to grow, if we're going to continue to be unified, if we're going to continue to be energetic, if we're going to continue to reach our community. We need you. We need you. And we need your God-given calling, your God-given gifts, your God-given passions. We need you to succeed, to continue to succeed in the mission that God's given us. So i got to ask you, do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what they are? Do you know what your passions are? Do you know what your your capabilities are? Do you know why God has given you certain experiences? Do you know why all of these things come together in who you are? Do you know what your gifts are? The Bible tells us that when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that they become a new creation, And as becoming a new creation, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within them and among them. And the Holy Spirit does a few things in that moment. The Holy Spirit brings new life to that person, but the Holy Spirit also adopts them into the family of God, that universal church idea, adopts them into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit's presence manifests certain virtues and giftings by the nature of the Holy Spirit's presence within the person. Now, these have a few important applications. Number one, it has a unifying factor because when we come together as a body of Christ, as, as, as men and women who have received the forgiveness of Christ through his work upon the cross and our belief and acceptance of it, when we have the indwelling of the Spirit, when we come together, we have this common unity in the Spirit of God together. But we also have this unique blessings, these unique equippings as we come together as well. And these equippings is sometimes what the Bible refers to as spiritual gifts. And Paul writes about this a number of times in his letter to the churches. But one particular one I just want to share with you briefly is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we read this, starting in verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. It's the unity within the Spirit, but the diversity within the gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So let's just stop there for a second. This is saying in this first passage here that each of us has a contribution to make within the church based upon the different gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. And from this... Not only is there that unifying effect of one common God, one common faith, one common spirit, not only is there a unifying effect of it, but there are different gifts. Each is given from one gift giver for a common purpose. And the gifts are a common way that the Holy Spirit works through us in order to serve us collectively. And some examples of this are given beginning in verse 7. Now to each one of you, a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit lives within us, and by the presence of him within us and among us, there are manifestations of the Spirit's presence. Each one of us, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good amongst all of us. To one there is given the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and, and to still another the interpretation of these tongues. All of these are the works of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. Now, the gifts listed in, in 1 Corinthians 12 there are more of the sensational, uh, sensational type. You know, speaking in tongues and prophecies and things like that. Uh, but there is a more comprehensive list we can look at when we look at Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And if you're following along in the sermon notes or if you're part of one of our Beyond the Message groups, these are listed in the notes there for you this week to have a look at All in all, there's sort of 15 core spiritual gifts that we see there. And while we each have different gifts for different purpose, different different works, they all serve for the same purpose. They're from the same Lord for the same mission to be lived out among us. Now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you strive to be a follower of Christ, that means that the spirit of God lives in you. And if the spirit of God lives in you, based upon scripture that we just looked at, that means that there is a manifestation of gifts within you. Do you know what those are? Do you know what they are? And if you know what they are, are you using them? Are you developing them? Are you putting them to work for the greater purpose, for the greater good that we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12? See, in my own life, when I look at my own capabilities and I look at what other insights and other God leaders have called out of me, and I look at the fruitfulness of what I do and when I do it in alignment with those gifts, you know, I find that I I have the gifts of leadership and the gifts of apostleship and the gift of administration, Which is pretty fortunate, because those are actually three good gifts for a lead pastor to have. So it kind of matches. But I can tell you this, that those who know me well, have known me for a long time, they would say those were not always there. Those were not present within me. Those only started to become present within me when I aligned my life with God's call for me. And in that time, not only did these giftings start to well up within me, But I started to discover the passion and the joy and the fulfillment of living in those ways that God had created and called me. But what about you? What are your spiritual gifts? How would you find out? And how how would you use them? You know, since empowering people is one of our core values, we want to help you find your spiritual gifts. And so we have researched and we have put together an opportunity for you to take a spiritual gift assessment. We have the spiritual gift assessment tool. We make it available to you, and it's completely free. You have free access to it through a couple of ways. Number one, it's if you're following along in the sermon notes online, there's a link in the sermon notes that will take you directly to this. You can simply go to our website as well. You won't find this by searching from the website. You'll have to type this into the, into the, um, to the address bar at the top. But westmeadows.org slash spiritual-gifts will take you to a page where you can take a spiritual gifts assessment. We're also going to include a link to this in the weekly for the next couple of weeks. We may even send out a separate email on its own just so that you can, you, know, you can just use that as the link too. And if you're not an online person, you want a paper copy, stop by the information desk. We have paper copies there available for you to take to just write in your information on there. And then give them back to the office, and we will manually compile that information for you if you want to do a paper version. And so if you're interested in doing this, really brief instructions. When you, when you click on the link, it's going to ask you for some Very, very basic contact information, just demographic information, because they have to send you your results, so they need that to send you the results. And it's also going to ask you for your age, because there's a youth and an adult version for this. And basically what it's going to be is a list of questions that you're going to answer from a scale of 1 to 5 on. We've probably all done assessments like this in the past. They're going to ask you questions along the lines of, I find it natural to trust God to answer my prayers. So maybe you're at a 1, Uh Uh-uh, I wrestle with that. To five, I live by that. Or somewhere in the middle, perhaps. We want to encourage you to to take this and and to try this. It's very simple to do, and once you finish the questions, it'll automatically calculate the results, and it'll email you immediately the results with a list of your giftings and the scriptural basis and description of what they are. Now, maybe you've done these in the past. Uh, We actually did this as a church about four years ago, and we had great... A great list of people who did this, but we want to encourage you to do it again. I want to encourage you to do it again because, first of all, sometimes things change. You see, sometimes we had we thought we had gifts and we answered questions a certain way, but it actually didn't turn out the way that we initially thought. But we've learned and we've grown since then, so we would answer those questions differently. But also at the same time, sometimes our gifts are more static. I mean, they're not static; they're a little bit more dynamic. Whereas you find yourself in a new season and a new calling, the Holy Spirit will equip you with opportunities and what you need to succeed in that adventure that's ahead of you. So sometimes things change. So take it again. Uh, secondly, this will provide you with a report and a summary that I think is very valuable for you to have. And I'll just, full disclosure, we're going to get a copy of your report as well. Now, here's my promise to you about that. I promise you, we're not going to turn into telemarketers. Oh, we got your results there, Susie. And I see that you have the gift of teaching and mercy. Well, we could sure use you in the children's ministry with that gift of mercy that you have. <laughs> I promise you, we're not going to do that. That's not the purpose of us having the results. What's the purpose of us having the results? To better understand our collective potential, to understand our collective potential, to allow us to take inventory of our church to take inventory of our greatest resource, to understand who has God brought together, and not only who, but what giftings and abilities has God brought together in us. And we can take inventory through these results, which will give us a clear sense of ministry opportunities that he is equipping and calling us to succeed in. Does that make sense? So I want to personally encourage you. I want to personally ask you to do this. If not for yourself, then, then to do it for us. To do it for us, to help us as a church understand this dynamic of who God has called together in us. And man, if you just stop and think about what we've been discussing today. Just just step back for a second and think about what we've been discussing today. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, gave you a gift. That's no small thing. He looked at you and said, you, your community, your church needs you and this gift. And he handed you a gift. Now, if we were talking about, uh, you know, about a person in the world who is talented like, like musically or in managing businesses and they chose not to share that gift with the world, that would be unfortunate. Uh, that, would, that would be unfortunate for them not to choose to do so in the world. But how much more so when we as followers of Christ who have received these gifts, choose not to acknowledge them and use them. Man, God wants us to use them for his glory. But if we're honest, I know that we we wrestle with this sometimes. A lot of us don't, at least not to the fullest. And perhaps it's because you don't know what your gift is. Or perhaps it's because you don't know how to use the gift that you have or perhaps it's because historically you've sort of minimized the importance of it. I, I don't know what it is, but, but I do know this. That each of us needs to come to a point where we need to realize that God wants us to be involved in his work. And he has equipped us to be involved in his work through these gifts. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to teach and to be an example for us. To die upon the cross for us so that we could be freed from our sins. And that we could enter into a relationship with him. And to all those who entered into that relationship... To all those who believe, all of those who received, he graciously bestowed a beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit to you. It stands to reason if he gave the gift, he expects us to use it. He expects us to discover what it is, to use it and to develop it throughout our lives living for him. And when you do, I can tell you this from personal experience and from testimony of so many people that I've worked with over the years, when you do, you will find personal joy You will find personal fulfillment in yourself when you live in that gifting. But also as you see it used in the community around you. May we be found faithful to discover, to develop, and to use the gifts that we've been given. To serve others and to bring glory to God. And if we do, the day will come when we stand before him and he will look at us and he will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, as the worship team comes back out on the platform, I just want to leave you with two questions to consider today. Number one is this. What are your God-given gifts? And based on what they are, what do they reveal about the service God has prepared for you to do? Now, if you're not sure, if you need a refresher, if you wanted to simply help us understand what they are, go take that assessment. It won't take you more than a couple of minutes, and it will be insightful and enlightening for you. But the second question is this, once you know what they are, where could you use them to serve others in order to bring glory to God? This is a critical question. Because as I mentioned, first of all, if God gave you a gift, he gave it for a purpose. He wants it to be used. But also in addition to that, when you look at the nature of creation all around us, all of creation, when it does what it was created to do, it glorifies God. It reveals God to the world. When creation does what creation was created to do, it reveals and glorifies God. When the thunder follows the lightning, when the trees bear fruit, when the rain fills up the rivers, when the sun sets in the east, it rises in the east and sets in the west, when the birds migrate south at this time of year, when the bears go on hibernate, when creation does what it was created to do, it reveals the glory of God. And when we seek to fulfill his will in our lives, by using our greatest gifts, we glorify him too. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just simply pray right now a prayer of thanksgiving. That you see fit to call each and every one of us, not, not for disqualification, for things that we see on outside of ourselves, but Lord, but you look at the heart. You look at what you've brought into a person. Lord, you look at what you have gifted to a person. You look at the difference the presence of the Holy Spirit makes in a person. Lord, may we not be hindered or limited in how we serve you by the things that we see on the outside. May we not be quick to judge others by those external experiences or appearances. But Lord, may we have eyes, your eyes, to see within ourselves and within others to understand how you've gifted how you've called, how we as brothers and sisters in Christ have been united and equipped uniquely and beautifully for a specific purpose, a mission that you've given us here as a church. So, Lord, for each who are gathered here today, I pray that you would give them the time, the, the reminder, the, the passion to complete these assessments, that they themselves will better know how you have revealed yourself in them and through them, but also we as a church can understand how you're leading and calling us. We pray this all in your holy in your name. Amen.